morning, Freedom Center. Good morning, Grand Blank Campus. Good morning, Pastor Jim, who's over here from Grand Blank Campus. And uh, for those of you who came for a good sermon today, Winky the Wonder Preacher is ready. I, uh, I, am, um, I do get a little dizzy sometimes, so if I happen to stumble a little bit, I, you'll catch me. Thank you for that. We do have a mosh pit here at Freedom Center Church, which is good. And, and Todd, is that coffee cup empty? I, I may need a place to fill it up, so if you wouldn't mind uh, cleaning that up real quick if I get nauseous. Um, a couple things this morning is this. Um, today we are going to do something we've never done before because this Thursday is Veterans Day. We're going to be having a, a day uh, with a, a bonfire and how many of you guys know that food tastes best when it's been roasted over an open flame? And so we're going to have a hot dog b- buffet, a hot dog bar. Well, we had Halloween. We should have bars too, I guess. We're going that way. So we, we, have, we have a hot dog bar that we're going to enjoy things and uh, have fun. And I come out this, six thir- uh, this Thursday night, 6.30. And normally what we do for Veterans Day is we have the veterans stand. And we honor them. But the veterans have made it known that although they love um, their, their country, they hate being honored. So we're going to do this today. This is a brand new thing. We've never done this before. If you are a not a veteran, <laughs> would you stand to your feet at this time? If you're not a veteran, stand to your feet at this time. And can we clap for those that are being seated right now around us? <laughs> Amen. You can all be seated. Thank you to all our veterans, man, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and yes, even the Coast Guard that have done their part uh, to keep this country safe, defend our borders, and gone to foreign lands and raised their right hand and swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. It's a, it's a heavy load, and you did it. Welcome home. Well done. We're proud of those of you that are still serving. Uh, when our kids come home from basic training or AIT or they're getting ready to go, we treat them like heroes because we should honor people that, that serve their country in such a way. So God bless you all, and this Thursday night, we will do no, no more than we've done, really. We'll just be enjoying a time together. It really is more about um, America than it is about veterans. It'll be a bonfire, roasted foods, and then we're going to just sit around and, like, throw a ball, you know, and have fun in the dark, because veterans can catch balls in the dark. A lot of us can't, but we can, you know. We were trained that way. And it's going to be great, so come be a part of it. Um, open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're starting a new series today. Um, it's called The Way, The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. And before we get there, I just want to tell one last quick story. And I'm going to make two statements, and although they utterly contradict each other, they're both true. First statement, maybe you'll get this as soon as I say it. I hate golf. It costs way too much money. It takes far too long, and nine times out of ten, I'm not proud of what I've done when the ball connects with the stick, the club, whatever it is. Um, of, uh, of the hundred shots that I would shoot on the average five holes, <laughs> about 90 of them I'm not pleased with. The, of the remaining ten, there's about nine that I'm generally pleased with because it went in the general direction and at a respectable distance. And, and that could be a putt, that could be a drive, that could be a chip. But it's not, it's not like, wow! But the, the, the reason that I hate golf is because I have a hard enough time just in life, just in general, just watching the news, just talking to people without cussing. <laughs> so why do I need the added stress of failure and expense and time that golf is? I hate golf. Second statement, I love golf. I love it. 
The, the green and the color and the fellowship and the smell, the freshly mowed, you know, competition that bet me 10 bucks and I beat them. The, 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 the beauty but of those remaining 10 shots, there's nine of them that go in the general direction. But the reason, the number one reason why I love golf is that last remaining shot. Every once in a while, something just happens. And if I knew how to make it happen again and again and again, I'd love golf. But I don't. It's about one out of 100 shots, and that driver goes through that ball. You don't even feel the ball. The ball just, it just goes up. And then it just, it just goes up. And then it keeps going. And if, and if you, you know it's a really good shot, Pastor Ian taught me this. You, when you're on your backswing, you just kind of spin the club and bring it back down again, like meant to do that. And everybody around just stands in awe. Remember that? You said, I added this one thing to the shot, and it's spinning the club and bringing it back down again. So you spin the club. Yeah, I meant to do that. Like the guy that hits the home run, right? He knows what's going on in the park. He's supposed to be running towards first base. Everything any coach has ever taught him, connect with the ball, run to first base, but he knows it's a home run, so he stands there and watches it go out of the park. You're not going to make me run. And he just off to first base. Like golf can be, I love golf because every once in a while something just happens that is so filled with grace that it makes it worth going back and trying not to cuss again next week. Can I get a witness? Understand what I'm saying, right? So the reason that I say this is today because I, we're going to talk about something today. We've called it, and this is Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 11, uh, 29. It says this. He talks about the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. When, when you just connect with a ball, when you just connect with a baseball, a golf ball, a tennis ball, and there's that moment where it all comes together. You didn't do anything different this time than you did the other 99 shots, but this time everything seemed to work. How many know what I'm talking about? That one investment, Bitcoin, seems like a bad idea, but I bought a little bit. Yay. Apple, stupid name for a company, but yay. I, by the way, I bought neither one of those, but you know what I'm talking about, right? That moment where it makes sense and it's good, the unforced rhythms of grace. John chapter 14, open your Bible here as we said, verse 1 says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Jesus says, believe also in me. My Father's house it's got lots of rooms. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? This is rhetorical, but of course, if I'm going and coming back, you know what, if I go, I prepare a place for you. I'll come back and I'll take you with me that you also may be where I am. Now, here's where we're going to get to. You know what? What's it say? You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas asked the obvious question. You know the way. He says, we don't even know where you're going. <laughs> so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am, Tom, hear me, I am, Peter, hear me, John, hear me, Matt, hear me, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We, we talk a lot about the truth. Theologians debate the truth of Jesus. We get in all the original languages and the hermeneutics of Luke and historiography and all the isms and schisms and jots and tittles and all the Hebrew hyperbole. We just, we got to know all about it because it's all about Jesus, right? We got to know the truth and the life. We like talking about the life because it's eternal starting now and we bring the kingdom to earth and his will be done, his kingdom come and it's wonderful. How many of you guys know that there is kind of an absence when it comes to talking about the way of Jesus, the way he lived, the, what he valued so often, not, not just about his words, because we've debated his words at nauseum, right? And, and we should, because you continue to do that. I'm not just talking about the, the life, which is heaven and streets of gold and crystal seas we talk about at every funeral, but what I'm talking about today is the way. How did Jesus live? What was the way? What is the way of Jesus? And we get a great peek into this, at least for today's purposes. If you guys don't mind, I'm just going to tuck my shirt, just kind of keep it light. Is that okay? Because I don't want to throw up on anybody. John, maybe, but most, most people I don't want to throw up on, right? Thank you, John. And uh, we're going to start with just three words. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, three words. Just somebody says this. 
come to me. If we want to know about the way of Jesus and we're going to look at the pattern of his life and we're going to understand what he's really all about, if we're going to live like he lived, if we're going to know the way because we're living the way that he lived, we're following him as he walked, as he spoke, what was important to him, things that were valued, we're going to have to begin here. Understand this, you cannot walk for Jesus unless you walk with Jesus. I want to take a stand for Jesus, great. Walk with him and we'll talk about standing for him. But until we learn the rhythms, the unforced rhythms of grace, that, that natural sweet spot where our heart and his heart gets melted into one, where it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, like Paul says, and becomes the same thing. Jesus, you understand this, these words come to me, they're, they're unique. In all the words of Jesus, this is the one time, everybody say one time, one time. This is the one time he says the statement, come to me. He usually says, come follow me, or to those who will come after me, Or if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. This is the one time where Jesus delineates the whole thing. Most of the time he says this. Pastor Jason, would you join me up here, please? Is there enough strength in this for both of us? Come on up. Yeah, you got it in your monitor, so come on up here, will you? All right, watch this. Ready? Pastor Jason, come follow me. Now, what he's doing is he's watching where I'm going. Where I put my feet, he's putting his feet. Why? Because he built these things, and he knows that at any moment... It's, it's like a trap, right? I have learned where every squeak is. There's a squeak on this corner up here that no matter what I've done to it, no matter what people have tried to do it, right about in this area, you hear that? All right, so he's following me. He's putting his foot where I'm putting my foot. Now, if you'd stop there, Pastor Jason, on the squeaky spot, that'd be great. Just stop right there, okay? And make it squeak a little bit just so it's really annoying. Okay, that's come follow me, but that's not what Jesus says here. What he says is, stop it, you're killing me. He doesn't say, come follow me. He says, come to me. Pastor Jason, come here for a second, will you? Come here. It's all squeaking. He must be a lot heavier than the normal guy that's up here. <laughs> come here. All right. Go sit down. Good job. I love you too. You see the difference? Come follow means, means we're going somewhere. Come to me means I'm the destination. Come follow me says there's, there's, a, there's a progress, there's a moment. You gotta know, you gotta watch, you gotta, but come to me just means me. The prize is not the destination when Jesus says come to me. The destination is not where we're going. It's not what we're achieving. It's not the goals that start before us. It's not bringing heaven to earth. The goal of this commandment, of this calling, of this invitation is just Jesus. If you're gonna follow Jesus and you're gonna be a part of the way of Jesus, you have to understand you'll never get there without this. This is the beginning, and this is in the middle, and this is the reward of the end. We're going to do a lot of great things. Do we want miracles? Yes. Pray for one this morning. Do, do we want to see signs and wonders? I just want to see lunch, right? Do we, do we want to see God come and do things? How many of you guys say amen to that? We do, right? And lives healed, marriages changed, and good things happen, and the kingdom of God come. But understand, that is the fruit. This is the root. This is where it comes from. Jesus normally says, come follow me, but only here he says, come to me. Put up that next picture there, if you would, guys. This is the, this building, or the first ideation of it, uh, under construction. Anybody know how, when that was, what year that would have been? I think I was about your age, Pastor Josh, uh, like a 31-ish, somewhere in there. You turned 31 this month, right? 31, 32. Um, what you see is the brick facade out front, the other part of the building, that youth wing that's kind of in the middle. You can see through the steel frame. We tall that down. That's now the new nursery wing, and all that stuff, but that was the building as it stood on that day of construction. I remember that 
that picture. I remember that moment because we grew. We, we had 99 people, and then we started this, hey, let's just get people to know Jesus. Like, let's just focus on people coming to Christ. Let's just talk a lot about the gospel. Let's just bring, and, and let's release people. You got a dream? Well, go do that. We'll, we'll, we'll send you the marshmallows. We'll, you know, help you with the provision. We'll, we'll pray. We'll send volunteers. We'll, and dreams started kind of being birthed, and so 100 became 200, and 200 became 300, and about 500 people Excited people, by the way, we're jammed into this, this building that's now our kids' auditorium. It's at 286 people, 13 rows of pews, to the left side, right side, all the way back. And, and, if, and if like people like during this certain time of year where they're still carrying holiday weight, it was only like 250 people would fit in there. You know, like, like spring break time, everyone on a diet and got their fake tan. There was, we could fit like 288, 290 in there. But with a 20% margin for error, I mean, it was like 250 people jammed in there. Both services, we were a church about 500 and we're sitting on each other's laps. The air conditioners were made for about 50 people. We'd open up the doors on 90-degree days because the 90-degree air was cooler than the air inside the room. The, the building down here that we purchased from the, uh, the elderly lady that was there, uh, Pastor Carl and Faye's Parsonage down there, I apologize. Sorry, we had the doors open today. She said, you know what? When you guys are singing, I just open the doors, and I feel like I'm at your church. I'm like, hey, just walk, and you'd be at our church, you know? And, ah, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't blame you. It's hot in there, you know? But the reason I, this picture is, is important to us today is simply this. I, I remember how hard it was. That was that's $1.8 million worth of construction underway in, like, 1990-something. That's a, that's a 30-something-year-old pastor taking the biggest risk of his life. I remember when they dug the foundation around that, I looked at the hole and I said, this isn't big enough. Man, this church is gonna fire me. We're spending $1.8 million on a building that'll never meet our needs. It's not big enough. Then they put up the steel. How many guys know that the hole has a certain perspective? When they put the steel up, it has a certain other perspective. I thought, we made it too big. They're gonna fire me again. We made it too big and we can't afford it. And we're counting on growth and generosity and God, what are we gonna do? And I remember, I remember complaining to God one time saying, God, you made heaven and earth with a word. Could you just, like, create a lottery ticket? Could you, could you just, could you just, like, why, why did we have to build this when you made everything? Like, Mount Everest is, like, five miles tall. I'm asking for 10,000 square feet. Could you help a brother out? And that's when the Lord said this to me. Look, look at this, this next phrase here. And this is for you. God doesn't use his people to build hard things. God uses hard things to build his people. Do you know why that building was bigger than my faith? Because God wasn't calling me to build a building. God was calling me to build my faith. And it wasn't just my faith, by the way. John, you were on the board at the time, right? I mean, it wasn't just my faith. It was our faith. We were like, okay, I think we can do this. Have you ever done it before? No. Do you know anybody that's done this? No. Is there a great risk of failure? Yep. Will Pastor Burt kill us all in our sleep if this fails? Oh, absolutely. Even if he has to rise from the dead to do it. Yes, he will kill us all. Do you want to spend all of eternity looking at F.E. Burke saying, you're the one that screwed up his church? I mean, there are real risks here. And we all had to take this different step because of what God was doing. We had to keep up with him. And, and I remember that, don't, don't do this for me. Do this with me. Once pastoring this church or husbanding my wife or parenting my children or grandparenting my grandchildren, when, when it's all on me, it's all hard. But when my entire life is reduced to a father-son project with an extraordinarily wise, resourceful, powerful, loving father, this is no harder than the Pinewood Derby of my childhood. Where my dad, who's an engineer for Ford, did all the work. And my car spanked everybody else's car. 
Because my dad took my Pinewood, my $8 Pinewood Derby car, to the engineering department of Ford Motor Company. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to play with it, but it was really cool. It was super fast. So guys, hear this. I'm not saying God creates the circumstances in your life that are hard, but I am saying God won't waste hard circumstances to grow your faith. Sometimes those are challenges because of good things. Sometimes those are challenges because of hard things. But whenever you run into something bigger than you, hear me, whenever you run into any circumstance, any bill, any diagnosis, any verdict, any decree that is bigger than you, it is not your defeat. It's an invitation to the one who holds victory in the palm of his hand. Think about it. Um, Nehemiah, let's start with Nehemiah. Nehemiah's got this wall. Um, it's, it's, it's protecting people. It's a way to secure the city of Jerusalem. Um, the, the Jerusalem and Israel have been conquered first by their own sin, not the Assyrian army. And, and now they're in the state of disarray. And so for, was it 52 days, the guy's got to go rebuild all these walls, all these stones, all these doors, all these gates, all this security. And he's got the Samaritan army. He's got Sambalat, the Stinkerite. He's got Tobiah. He's got all these bad guys in the story of Nehemiah. First six chapters of Nehemiah are just, just brilliant literature. And in this, he's sitting there, and, and he's got this unsurmountable thing. I imagine he went to God and said, God, you know, like, these are rocks, you, you're like good with rocks. This is like wood. You're good with wood. This is engineering. You're good with engineering. How about you just do this for us and then all the nations will know that God made this wall for us and we'll be safe because all nations will know that we have a God who builds walls. But that's not what he does. And this is why. They were conquered by their own sin and then they were enslaved for generations. Hear me. It's going to take just a few minutes to get people out of sin but it's going to take a long time to get sin out of people. That mindset. Does that make sense? So what good is it for God to go, shazam, because we all know God has a Southern Baptist accent. Shazam! And all the walls, shoop, they just pop up out of the ground, the gates are made out of gold, everything's beautiful and strong and powerful. But what happens if he puts an enslaved people inside of a free-walled city? The, the problem was not the wall. Guys, hear me. The reason they're enslaved, the reason they've been conquered, the reason they're in great distress and trouble is not because they don't have a wall. It's because they don't have a faith big enough to fight the enemy. Because they don't have a victory that, that counteracts the defeat. Because they don't have a testimony that is theirs. They have their parents' testimony, their granddaddy, their great-granddaddy's testimony. How many of you know every generation needs their own testimony of Jesus? We need our own faith. And so I don't have faith of my fathers. They're dead. All I have is the faith of a conquered people. And God says, well, I got a, I got a cure for that. Here it is. You ready? I'm going to give you a wall to build out of rubble. I'm going to give you an enemy that's going to taunt you day and night, threaten you, manipulate you, and by the time that wall is done, not only will I have a wall around a city, I'll have a people that have been built by faith that will live inside of it and defend it. Does this make sense? Think about it. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. How do you guys know? God can just say, close your eyes. Okay, open them. Now we live in the promised land, and all the giants are dead, and we have a big, beautiful funeral, and all the birds have a feast, but he doesn't do that. So why do we have this 40 years in the wilderness between the deliverance from bondage in Egypt to the freedom of the promised land? Why is that? Anybody know? Because there are things that die in the wilderness that have to die. There are things that are birthed in the wilderness that have to be birthed. He gave them a fortified city. He gave them a, a, a land filled with giants. He gave them 40 years in the wilderness, not because he couldn't destroy their enemies, but because they didn't trust that he could destroy their enemies. They had to grow in their faith. It wasn't about 40 years in the wilderness. It was about the first 40 seconds inside the promised land. Do you trust me or don't you? 
and everything that we're going through, not just Nehemiah, not just Moses, but what about you? What are you going through right now? I, I just, I know how hard it is. I'm, I'm blind in one eye. I'm almost falling off the platform three times. I'm trying to puke on John. But I want you to know something. Hear me. Everything that's bigger than I am is just evidence that God is bigger than it. Everything. It's, it's, not the, it's not the defeat of the enemy. It's not even spiritual warfare. My wars have been won. My battles are just trust. My war is won. My battle is trusting the one that's won the war and learning that trust and walking that trust. I, I think money is just one of those easy things to talk about because we've all been here understanding how we grow and faith and all that kind of stuff. So let me just use it. Let's, let's say you owe $100 and you don't have it. Let's say you want to give $100 and you don't have it. Let's say that you need, um, you want to earn. Like the Lord says, earn $100 and you don't know how to do it. Let's say it's just a $100 need. Is God using $100? Is he using you to raise $100? Come on, I, I know I use money, so now you're like, I don't want to commit to anything. I get this. Is God using you to raise $100? No. What's he doing? He's using the $100 to grow your faith to $100 faith. And, and I know this sounds very word of faithy, so let me just take it to something else. Your marriage sucks. It doesn't. Let's say it does, okay? What, what is that evidence of? Is that evidence that God's not good, that you married the wrong person, that you should quit? What is that evidence of? It's evidence of a season that is more significant than your assets. Inside of you as a husband, inside of you as a wife, I can't do it to a woman, inside of you like the... It's evidence that something greater than you will be needed to get you where God has commanded you. Let's talk about your neighbors. Let's talk about your children. Let's talk about the lost. Let's, anything that vexes your soul or weighs you down or is heavy to you. Hear me. It's not evidence that there is no God, and it's not evidence of failure. It's evidence of a victory that's on its way as you learn to trust God with what you yourself cannot handle. God isn't using you to do hard things. God is using hard things to build you these circumstances echo the invitation of the Lord. Come to me. I, I, I was in the back because I didn't want to be out here in the front because I, I only have a certain amount of time before I get, I get in pain or dizzy or whatever. So I'm just going to stay back there. But this is what happened. I came out in the end. What was the last song? Megan, where are you? What was the last song? Oh, yeah, there it was. Oh, and I'm not allowed to sing loud. I'm not allowed to talk loud. But that's going to be hard for me. I'm not allowed to increase my interior ocular pressure or otherwise my eye explodes like a cherry tomato and freaks everybody out. But I'm sitting there like, like, all hail King Jesus, I gotta be quiet. And this is what happened. In the midst of all hail King Jesus, you know what happened in my soul? I lost every problem. I won every war. I defeated every enemy. I forgot that I was at war. I, defought, I, I forgot that I had battles that I was fighting. I forgot pain. I forgot dizziness. I forgot nausea. I forgot my enemies. I forgot my strategies. I forgot my priorities. All there was in my heart and in my soul and in my mind and in my strength was a preeminent Savior, and I wanted to, to praise him and love him. And in that moment, I had victory that I'll never have anyplace else on this planet. There's a victory when he says, come to me and you obey. There's nothing better than that. It's even better than the guys sitting around the campfire with the beer in their hands saying, just don't get no better than this. Punch of idiots. It does. Filled with the fermented spirit of the Holy Spirit. It's up to you. The way of Jesus, the way of Jesus begins with simply being with Jesus at rest. You guys doing okay? Good, that makes one of us. Uh, in the creation story, Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. Is it getting hot in here or is it just me? 
It's just me. It's getting hot. Somebody knows how to adjust those. Just adjust them down two degrees. When he starts shivering, we'll turn them back up again. Genesis story. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, separate the land from the sea. And God said, let every vegetative you know, plant grow and seed bearing and fruit bearing and let there be animals. And, and then on the sixth day, he says, let there be, or doesn't let, he creates dust and he breathes in it the breath of life. And from his side, he pulls out a bone. And from that bone, he fashions woman. So we've got man, we've got woman. Genesis chapter oh, 2, verse 3, male and female, he created them somewhere in there. The end of chapter 1, beginning of verse, chapter 2, male and female, he created them. And, and, then, and then there's the seventh day. Now, please hear what I'm about to say. When God is instructing at the very beginning, the first thing he does is this. He takes the seventh day and he makes it what? Anybody know? He makes it holy. Say it again. He makes it what? That's the first time the word holy is used in the Bible. And the law first mentioned requires us that when we see a new subject, a new word, a new picture be painted, we stop and say, okay, God's establishing a foundation for all the other things that will be known as holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart for sacred use. God makes that day of rest holy. Now, Adam and Eve are created on day six. You guys tracking? So they don't know about day one. They weren't there on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Their eyes open on day six. And the very thing that God tells them on day six is their purpose. You're to fill the earth and you're to subdue it. How many guys know that you thought you had a long to-do list? Everything that would ever be done and every place there is on your mark, get set, stop. Because their first full day was not day six. Their first full day was day seven. And what is day seven about? God consecrated it. God set it aside for sacred use. God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So their first day was not a day of work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Their first day was not a day of work. Their first day was a day of rest. The very first thing Adam and Eve were instructed to do was come to me. Be with me. Now, part of being in this family is we all have jobs. So 25,000 miles in that general direction, there's deserts and valleys and oceans and mountains and streams, and animals, and beasts, and things the size of this room that swim through the ocean, and there, there's, there's great fish, and there'll be other peoples, and just, it's so amazing, and it's all yours. Go fill the earth and subdue it. Adam, Eve, are you ready? Okay, but the first thing we're gonna do, buddy, let's just hang out, because what's more important than doing everything else is this. Are you guys still here? Why did God make their first day a blessed holy day of rest? Were they tired? No. Here, Put it up on the screen. The primary assignment could never be done from their effort, could never be done from their toil, could never be done from their strength. It had to be done from rest, it had to be done from relationship, and it had to be done from trust in the one who assigned it. Can I say that nothing really has changed in the last several thousand years? That when Jesus echoes this invitation from Matthew chapter 11, come to me, it, it, it's actually an echo from Genesis chapter 2. Come to me. It's, it's rest. How many of you guys know that when we fight really, really, really hard, sometimes we're not doing anything more than exercising our own flesh? I had a friend of mine who's going through a tough thing right now. His business deal looks like it might be falling apart. He's put all of his eggs into this one basket, and the guy that he was trusting seems he may not be trustworthy. And I said, he said, what do you think? I said, well, this is what I think. I think either you're supposed to fight really, really, really hard right now and fix this, or you're supposed to trust the Lord that he's fixing it, and you don't have to lift a finger or something between those two things. He's like, man, you're, you're just really good at this guidance thing. Thank you. 
But how many, how many recognize the truth of that statement? Like, you need to go for it. Like, right now, man, attack. Get it done. But if that's just your flesh, all you're doing is postponing or even, even negating the blessings of God. So maybe what you're supposed to do is not fight really hard, but be still and know that you have a God who fights for you. Or maybe you're supposed to, like, work six days and on the seventh day rest. Or I really don't know. But what's important is not that I know. What's important is you know. Because what I have is, is theology. What you need is obedience. You need to know what God wants you to do. And when you know what God wants you to do, if he says, be still and know that I'm God, then be still. He's God. You know it. And if he says, fight really hard, then fight really hard. And God has commanded us to do both, right? Different parts of the Bible. We're fighting. We're resting. Like, there's, there's this unbelievable army that comes against Israel. And God goes, okay, I got a plan. Get all the worshipers and get them out front. No swords, no clubs, no spears, no shields, no, no cavalry, no archery, no, no, no snacks. Just... Megan, grab the gang, walk in the field and worship me. Now, I don't know if, if I were Megan in that scenario, what I would do. I think I'd probably say, well, if you'll clear a landing spot with the artillery and you'll, and you'll create a perimeter with the cavalry and you'll, you'll set up an entrenched, I'd love to come as part of the USO to entertain the troops. And the guy said, I don't, I don't need people to be entertained. I need the glory of the Lord to be revealed on a field of battle. And when that glory is revealed, I will kill your enemies. I will destroy their future. I will take away all of their, their faith and all their false gods. I will be God because today you don't have to be. That's a good day, man. And there's other days. He's like, go kill giants. You're like, what? Which one is right? The answer is yes. And know what it is. Adam and Eve worked from rest. How many guys work until you're tired? Okay, they started from rest and then worked. They worked from rest. Come on up here, Rob. They created from rest. They loved from rest. They were to subdue the earth and fill it from what? From rest. And, and this is the point of like the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus, yes, there's hard work in it. Yes, there's risks in it. Yes, you have to raise your right hand, grab an M16. Yes, you have to make that big business deal. Yes, you got to confront your enemy. Yes, you got, but you also, you also, there's times where you don't do any of those things. Because God's saying, how about, you know, you just let me be God today. How many ever resigned from being God and it was actually a good day? You know what I'm talking about? That day we are like, I just can't anymore. So God, either you're good and you're God or I'm toast and I don't care either way. I just can't fight anymore. And then God shows up and does the one thing you could never do for yourself. You're like, oh, you're God. Why didn't you say so somewhere like in a sacred book? translated into multiple languages, handed down through generations. Wouldn't that be great? If just some way you could communicate, like a Holy Spirit that you'd put inside of me where I could hear your voice and fill your heart. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let me read the rest of Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18 says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I'm gentle. And I'm humble in my heart. And you'll find it. It's there in my heart, under my yoke, with me. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Eugene Peterson was a, a pastor slash theologian slash linguist who pastored in the, the really kind of mean streets of Pittsburgh. Um, and he used, to, he used to have this thing where he'd 
He, he understood Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. He read them. He was fluent in them, a professor of them. He took a pastoral position. That's what he'd do to his steelworkers, his blue-collar steelworker congregation. He'd say, the Bible says blah, 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 and the original words are blah, 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 and then he realized that no one was tracking with him. So he'd say, and, and what that means is, and then he'd explain to them in blue-collar language what Scripture was actually saying. How many of you guys appreciate that? And from that, people said, you know, you should do a translation of the Bible, and he did, and it's called the Message Translation. And this is Eugene's translation of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, are you tired? You worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Here's that phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't put anything too heavy or doesn't fit you well. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Um, so how's your game? How's your golf game been lately? One out of every hundred decisions, are you hitting it just right? Nine out of the hundred, you know, went in the general direction at a respectable distance. And the other 90%, you're like, how many guys ever want to give up the game of golf entirely? Because it's just, uh, I scored my first par game this year, even 18 holes. Came down to the final putt, 18th hole. I hit it and right through the windmill into the clown's mouth. I wanted ice cream. It was awesome. It was awesome. So I've mastered that one. I'm pretty good at that one. It's the other one with all the green stuff. Pastor Carl wearing Argyle socks up to his knees outside his pants. And all the names we call each other when we hit things wrong. And, you know, I hit the ball like, hey, you should hit from the woman's too. Shut up. You know, just my sarcasm. How's your life going? For real. Are you operating in the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus has taught you? Are you still fighting all the wars and all the battles, trying to keep all the commands, obey all the laws, every jot, every tittle? It's exhausting to be God. And our imitation, if we could even come up with a, a good imitation of righteousness, by definition, the righteousness that comes from myself is self-righteousness. But there's a righteousness that comes from the unforced rhythms of grace. I don't three days this week where I had to be in a face-down position. They inserted a gas bubble that holds the back of my eye in place where they, they uh, did surgery. I had four tears and a fold in my, my retina. So they were in there a lot longer. I had to invade. It's very painful. And I'm, I got so I'm face-down. How many of you know when you're face-down and you listen to a movie? It's kind of not the same because no one knows how to tell a story since they invented the television set. I thought, man, I should get like some old-timey radio, you know, the shadow nose or something like that. And I, I just, I finally just turned it off. And I sat still thinking about this message. And can I tell you something? I think we'd all do well to sit still with your face in a pillow that's generally used for women who've just given birth. Don't judge me. It helped. What's it called? A scrunchie or a frumpy? A boppy. Face down in a boppy. Here's my prayer. May you yourselves place your face (laughs) 
in a place where all you can see is him and all you can hear is him and all you know is him because in moments of weakness he's just so good he's just so strong he's just he's just so there in my endless to-do lists, in my endless striving, my competitions, my, my battles, my wars, with people, with God himself, with the government, with you know, the news, with, it, it, his, he gets drowned out fairly easily as a uh, still small voice in a loud shouting world. But man, when you got nothing but a couch cushion and a bulldog wanting to lick your eye, you realize that it's just stillness is where there's victory. Come to me. Come to me. That's what Jesus says. Come to me. Will you come and will you rest? I'm not saying there won't be work. I'm not saying there won't be battles. I'm not saying there won't be risks. I'm not saying this is going to be hard. I am saying this, though. I am saying this. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to cast out a bunch of devils, confront the Pharisees, pick a few disciples, some that will betray him. You know what he did before that day? He went away early in the morning, just him and his father, got alone in a quiet place and he stuck his face in a bobby because he wanted to see his Abba because that place of, of being with Christ, that place of being with the Father, that place of love, security, peace, where he's going to be God so you don't have to or you, he's going to be God, he commands you to do things that you couldn't do without his grace that's, that's the sweet spot man that's where you connect with the ball so powerfully so, so true, so unpredictably well that's that's where the slice disappears. That's where the missing the ball together. Never have a bad shot in front of Jason McKay. That's all I'm saying. Because you never hear the end of it. You know what I mean? I have video of his bad shots. I'm not about to show that today. But I'm just saying. It's just crazy. And God's not going to say, oh, you tried and you failed. You sliced it to the right, you idiot. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, I just know that if you really want to hit the shot well, just spend some time with your coach. Come to me. Close your eyes. Would you all this room? Come to me. The invitation this morning is not to come to me, obviously. The invitation this morning is not to come to, you know, church. Come to men's coffee, which is awesome. Come to Thursday night. It's Jesus, I don't think he wouldn't say those things, but I think more than anything else what Jesus would say would be this echo from a garden with a couple naked kids in it. I've made you. I've predestined you. I've created for you a world that needs someone to come and tell it who it is, place it in order, bring out its, its brightest colors, its greatest fruit, its deepest mysteries. I've called you to this. Now, the very first thing we're going to do is just be together. On your mark, get set, rest. Take a good deep breath in through your, your nose, out through your mouth. Just do another one, will you? In through your nose, out through your mouth. God. The same word for Holy Spirit is the same word for breath or air or wind. 
something about just taking a good deep breath, just breathing and filling my lungs and exhaling in a relaxing way that just brings me back to a center in Christ. That It's always been that way. After something hard would happen in the military, the other moment you just take a good deep breath and exhale and just kind of let the tension of it go. After a fight with my wife, after a burying a baby, after the, the, the hard moments of life, without exception, there's always been this moment where I just, it's just me now in the car. I just take a good deep breath. I don't know why. It's just involuntary. I just... I think if we could do anything that would improve our shot, the score of the game, your effectiveness in this world, it's not work harder, it's not work smarter, it's stop working. Sabbath, rest. Come to me. Come to me. And God blessed that day and he made it holy because on that day he rested. Father, we just... We just take a holy rest. Yes, we have bills. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we have enemies. Yep, lots of misunderstandings, lots of strife and turmoil. But not in my head, not right now. Not in my heart, not right now. Sabbath, this sundown Friday, this sundown Saturday. I know it's the Romans and the Gregorians that changed it to Sunday. I know that some may consider that a, a violation of law, but I would just simply say this. Sabbath is no longer just a day. It's a way. Jesus said, I am the, the way. Sabbath, that celebration of ceasing, of letting God be God, of knowing that he's working when I'm resting, of trusting him to do what I can do. That's not just a day. Sabbath wasn't, you know, something that God invented so we would obey it. It was actually a blessing. It was a, a blessed day that was given to us as a holy gift. And now that there's a Sabbath rest, not a Sabbath day's rest, but a Sabbath rest for God's people. Hebrews says that. Not a Sabbath day's rest. We are to celebrate ceasing every moment of every day, even as we work. Because our works, our works are just fruit. The root is Him. Come to me. Jesus says, come to me here right now and you don't know how to do that just get the sin out of the way will you just get the get the junk get the, the pride get the unforgiveness get the roots out of the way God's planting some pretty good seed here honestly I'd be in bed right now if this wasn't such an important message I just I just I just said God give me the grace to do this I don't want someone else to do this I want to I want the honor of delivering what I believe is a word from the Lord to this congregation